morning, Cross Point. Good morning. So children, you can be released to the back uh, there. Your teachers will be there to receive you for Children's Church. And for the rest of us, we are going to be continuing in our celebration through Advent. Now, Advent is the, I kind of introduced this last week, it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. The word literally means coming. It is the, the expectation of arrival. It's something that started to be celebrated in the church dating back to the, the fifth century. Because Christmas, it's more than just a day. It's more than just Christmas morning. It's more than just even Christ's birth. It's more than Christmas trees and, and presents. It's more than that. Advent, it's a time and an opportunity for us to identify with our longing for Christ. And this is a longing that's both past and present. See, there are those who came before, before Christ was born, when, he, when it was promised, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, said 700 years before that child was laid in a manger. And there was the expectation, the hope of the promises of God, this God who said there would be one who would come and, and save us the Messiah, and there was this expectation for His arrival, and then the joyous celebration when the promises of God were fulfilled. And we look back to understand our present situation, that in many ways we are still longing. There is a continued expectation because Christ is establishing His kingdom. He has brought salvation, and He is drawing people to Himself. And yet we still feel the tension of a broken world. And we know that He said He will return once again. And so we look ahead to the promises of God when He says He will return, and there will be no more tears, no more war. There will be rest. And so we identify presently with our longing. That as we celebrate His birth, we're celebrating the faithfulness of God to give us the the courage and hope presently in our situation. Now, to help with this, not only are we celebrating this kind of during the service, but we also put together a a study guide that you can find on our homepage uh, at xpoint.com. You can also find on the Church Center app where we want to help you be able to celebrate, have conversations together with your spouse, with your children, with your community group. To use this time to step away from just the busyness, the rush of the season, to, to worship, to be intentional in this time and in the season. So last week, as you heard, we talked about hope. Not just optimism, not just everything's going to work out, but that our hope is in the person and promises of Jesus. It's in when circumstances don't seem like they're going to work out. When everything we see would tell us that the world is falling apart, it's all in chaos. We cling to the promises of God because He is faithful to His Word. That is our hope. And this week, as we look at peace and in the passages that you've heard read, what we heard last week from Isaiah chapter 9, when it says, for, for to us a child is given, to us a son, 
The government will be upon His shoulder. In His name is this one that we cling to. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of His peace there will be no end. But here's what struck me this week. If God has intentions, right? The, the good intention to be faithful to His Word, but He doesn't have the ability the power to fulfill those promises, then he is in a powerless God. And our hope crumbles. Right? Like if I say to you, hey, next Sunday, I want to give each and every one of you a million dollars. And with all my heart, I intend to do that. The problem is, I don't have that in my bank account. Right? So come next Sunday, I can't fulfill that promise. This is what I, I, I'm seeing with this, that God has made promises that we hope in, but what I want us to see, what I want us to feel is that He has the power and the authority to fulfill His promises. He's faithful to His promises, but He's also powerful enough. He is the Prince of Peace. In His character, He doesn't just bring peace, He is peace. And because He is God, and because He is everlasting, the peace He brings itself will be everlasting. So we could end there. Merry Christmas. Be blessed. But it's like, what does that even mean? Right? Like, what is biblical peace? And who cares? Like, what difference does that make in our hearts? So, okay, we put these buzzwords up for Christmas. Live, laugh, love. Hope, peace, love, joy, yay, Merry Christmas, go on your way. There is weight to these words. And I want us to understand, what does it even mean? And why does it matter? So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into those questions. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. Lord, when we think of your title of Prince of Peace, Lord, we come with our own longings, with our own understanding, but we need your eyes to see, your ears to hear, Lord. Lord, you know the brokenness and the longing in each of our hearts this morning. I ask that the, the truth of your word that you would shine a light to give our minds understanding. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to feel with affection a gratitude for the beauty of who you are and what you have given to us in yourself. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's why I ask the question. What is peace? Like, what's biblical peace? Because there's part of me that there's a misunderstanding when it comes to peace because Oftentimes, we define peace by what is lacking, what is absent, rather than what is present. Here's what I mean. There's peace when there's no war. See, if there's no war, if nations aren't fighting, if there aren't boots in the ground in some other country, then, then we're in a time of peace. Or we say, if there's no conflict, we think locally, in the community, if, if politics weren't combative to one another, if, if there wasn't all this animosity toward one another, there would be peace. Think about what we say in our own homes. If, if 
you were a young kid, you probably heard your parents say this, or if you have young kids, you probably said this, like, I just want a moment of peace, right? What are we saying? Like, I I just want a moment where there's not crying, there's not bickering, there's not fighting, there's not nagging, right? I just want a moment of peace when that's not happening. But is that all peace is? Like just a moment of peace, are we satisfied with that? Because here's the thing, I think there's a longing in us for something more because we realize that if that's all that peace is, it's not enough. Or like I've heard from numerous, like Thanksgiving, Christmas can be hard. Right, like families getting together. The unspoken conflict, the different views on masks, vaccines, past hurts, politics, religion. We're not going to talk about these things. We just want to have a peaceful holiday season, right? So let's not have too deep of a conversation so it doesn't go off the rails and we start having fighting. We just want to have a peaceful dinner. So we put on our fake smiles, we eat our food, we smile for the pictures, and we're like, wasn't that wonderful? Peaceful celebration. Is that really all we want? Is that what we're satisfied with? Like, oh, we didn't have a blow-up. No drunken fit this, this year. These two people didn't go at each other, so it's a success. That was peace. I think deep down we know that the absence of conflict and fighting does not mean the presence of peace. But if we're honest, our hearts grow tired and our emotions are stretched thin. And so we'll just settle (laughs) to not have the conflict for just a moment, to catch my breath, to re-enter the chaos. What I want us to hear is there is more. Peace is not just the absence of conflict, but when we get into what does biblical peace mean? It is so, so much more. When it says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and of His peace, there will be no end. That word in the original language is shalom. And that word does not mean just the absence of conflict, though it does mean that, but it means the presence of something. It's saying that something is made complete. It is made whole is what that means. For there to be peace, that, that there is a, this fullness. Something is perfect. There's no crack. It's, it talks about in, in, in Joshua, this, this stone to build the altar of peace. It's a stone that has no broken edges, no cracks in it. It, is, it says an uncut stone. But in the Hebrew, it's actually a shalom stone to build an altar of shalom. It is a stone that, that is full. If you think of a, a wall made of bricks, that is laid out, all these individual pieces being formed together, no gaps, no cracks, no missing bricks in the wall. It is complete, it is full, it is whole. That is shalom. It makes me think of this. My family, at times, goes into spurts where we enjoy puzzles. Right? I don't know if the picture's up there. You'll see my son Silas holding up the last puzzle we did as a family. And if you're like us, like we, we have the system, 
right? Like you start with the border, the straight edges, then the colors that, that are the same, and you begin to put them together. It's the joy of opening up, up this of a thousand random pieces and then being fit together into one beautiful image. And then you get to the end, those final pieces that are missing. <laughs> Do you see it in the sky? There's others if you look at the picture. And at first I was like, we lost them. We were so careful. But then I did some research on Google and it turns out some puzzle manufacturers are known to have up to eight to 10 missing pieces per puzzle. That's not shalom. <laughs> right? There is a sense of satisfaction at the end when you put that last piece in place, and now it is whole. It's done. That is biblical shalom. It refers to something that is knowingly complex, something that, that it, it doesn't pretend to be simple, that it has many pieces, many parts, and it's not just that they're not in conflict with one another, it's that they're working together for the good of the other, to form something more than its individual parts. But have you ever tried to put two different puzzle pieces together that don't fit? And it looks like they fit, and you put them together, and then all of a sudden you're like, these don't go together. But they're kind of stuck now, and you're kind of like twisting them to get them apart, and then like the edges bend, and the paper starts to pull up. It's these pieces in conflict with one another. It seems like they're fighting with one another rather than fitting together like they should. This is what it can feel like, I think, in relationship with one another. Right? Like, we should be getting along, but I feel more tension than this is somehow making this beautiful image. And so what happens then is we settle for this shallow understanding of peace. And we say, as long as we're not in conflict, there's peace. And it would be as though if you took all the puzzle pieces and you laid them out on a table and you're like, done. They're not connected. It's just this random assortment of parts, but they're not touching each other. They're not in conflict with one another, right? There's no war. There's no arguing. We have our moment of peace. Look, there's peace. You look at the image on the box. And you look at the randomness on the table of the pieces and you realize they're not the same. But we settle for it. I think this is what can happen in our own hearts when we isolate ourselves from others. And it's like, I've been hurt too many times. I long for relationship and connection with others, but there's, uh, there's just too much here. I would rather just be off by myself and, and like the box that paints this picture of what it should be, the reality is, is when we read scripture, scripture, we see it painting a picture of what biblical community can look like. And we look at the mess that we are, we're like, they don't look the same. Maybe I'm just going to stay over here by myself so I don't get hurt. What I want us to see and feel this morning is God calls us to so much more. Biblical peace is not being satisfied 
with all the random pieces spread across the table, not touching one another, not fighting. Shalom is about bringing completeness, wholeness in our relationships with God and with man. And and the reality is, if we're honest, like, it can seem impossible. Like, how in the world? Like, you don't know my family. You don't know my past. And it can feel like it's an overwhelming impossibility. But we sense it. There's a desperate need within us for it. That the lack of peace isn't just present in our relationship with each other. The reality is there's a root to that brokenness that is deeper than the divisions that lie between people. And it is in that broken relationship between us and God. But that there's this... We can feel it because in many ways, if you think of this puzzle, the way we were created, God, in the beginning, created all that we see, created mankind in his image. So that in this perfect relationship, the image, the the picture that was being projected to all of creation was in the beauty and wonder of who God is. But then we decided we could do that better on our own. And rather than being who God created us to be, in pride, we turn to rebellion. And we're like, I don't care. And so no matter which way we twist and turn, there is this sense of incompleteness. And we feel that. Whether we acknowledge why we feel that or not, we see it within culture, this sense of something's missing, something deep in me feels broken, seems lacking, and we try to fill that. We fill it with with relationships. If I find the right spouse, if they love me, if I have the right kids, if they have the right accomplishments, if I get into the right school or have the right hobbies or acknowledgements, we try to make ourselves in our own strength, feel whole and complete, apart from God. And it always leaves us starving and empty, exposing more and more that something is deeply, deeply wrong. That nothing can fill that God-shaped hole. And no matter how we live our lives, twist and turning it, there's something fundamentally wrong broken. This is why the words of the prophet Isaiah are so encouraging. When it says those who walked in darkness to those who lived in deep darkness of their own pride and sin, on them a light has shone to us A child is born to us, a son is given, and he is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who will make all things whole, who will bring about completeness and restoration that we cannot on our own. What is impossible with mankind is possible with God. And not only is God willing, but he is able. Like, listen as I read this passage in Ephesians 2, because one thing I love when we deal with 
themes in Scripture, not just sections of Scripture, is you see how these words and phrases tie all of the Bible together in these themes. That these promises, that that there would be a a child who was born who would be the Prince of Peace. Who is this? This promise that people clung to in their darkest hour. That now we look back on and we know that that child's name was Jesus. And in the midst of our own dark hours, we hold to the faithfulness of God as we trust in His promises. When Ephesians 2 says that Jesus Himself is our peace, can that just sink in for a moment? He doesn't just give you peace. He is our peace. He is our functional peace. Think about what that means in our relationship with God, right? We were created in His image to reflect His glory. In sin, we rebelled against God, no longer reflecting His glory but our own pride. And no matter what we do, we could not restore to ourselves who we were created to be, but Christ being our peace is the one who stands between us and God. He is our peace. He's the one who restores our relationship. He's the one who makes us whole. He's the one who fills what is lacking in us, who makes us complete in all things in Christ. Jesus Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Here's what I want us to see. When we talk about Jesus being our peace, it's not just the absence of conflict. It's not just now we stand off here in our pride and God is over here in his holiness and we are forever to be separated but not fighting. It is to say that peace is reconciliation. It is wholeness with God. But not only that, not only in our relationship with God, but now if we all with fist stand to greet one another, we can look at our differences. We can look at the things that separate us, the hostility between peoples. And we can all be defined differently, but God in His peace has made us one people at the foot of the cross. Think about what this means in reconciliation to one another. We come to the foot of the cross. We come with our background. We come with our divisions. We come with our brokenness. But at the foot of the cross, we are forever changed. We are one people with one identity in Christ, in one Savior, one Lord, through one sacrifice once and for all. We are one, that Christ makes us whole. He makes us 
complete that random assortment of puzzle pieces being fit together to reflect his glory. That is the body of Christ. And that is what he came to do, and that is what he accomplished on the cross. That's not something that we say he's going to do. He did it. And then we're called to maintain the unity that he gave us. To maintain and walk in the reality of of what he has already declared to be true. God has brought peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but in actual working together. Actual living for the good of others. It's where we see love and humility, gentleness, self-control, and long-suffering being lived out as a church family. That means we are a people of peace. Because if Christ is the Prince of Peace, He has brought peace. We are recipients of peace as a people. We are a people who have received shalom. Look at what it says in Ephesians 2. 14, you'll see it up on the screen, these two passages, and the next one's in John 14. Jesus is our peace. And then Jesus himself said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Our peace is not just some random thought that we in our minds and we long for with wishful thinking. We cling to Christ who is our peace, who stands in our place to reunite us with Christ and with one another, reconciling us to one another so that together we are reflecting His glory. It is by His blood, through His sacrifice in Him. If if we just let that sink in for a moment, We are recipients of God's peace. That I was hostile toward God. I was hostile and prideful to those who are not like me. But God, in Jesus, sent His Son to die in my place. And now I am not hostile towards God. I have been reconciled. And this is not by anything that I have done myself. It is a gift of God that He has given us peace with God. We are recipients of peace. This is the reality. And because of that, because we are recipients of peace, We become ambassadors of peace. It says at the end of Ephesians 2.17 that Jesus came to preach peace to those who were far off and those who were near, to both the Jew and the Gentile. He preached peace because both are being called to the foot of the cross. 
And I think as the body of Christ, as recipients of peace, we are called then to be ambassadors of peace, to be a people of peace, to look into the the broken areas of our culture and to actively bring God's peace, to bring shalom, wholeness, completion to the broken areas. It's not enough for Christians to simply not be argumentative, to not be divisive, to not be quarrelsome. Just stay quiet in your little corner and don't stir the pot. To bring God's peace is to enter into the broken areas with gentleness, with hospitality, with self-control, with grace, and with our hands demonstrating the peace we have received from God. This is what it means then to be the body of Christ today. And so I want us to, to consider for a moment, how do we respond to this? If this is what peace is, and then if we ask the question, like, what is peace? Why should I care? Who cares? It matters, doesn't it? In the midst of brokenness, to say that it's not just that we're not fighting, but it's something so much more that Christ has brought in Himself, how then will we respond? And I think the first response is in gratitude. I mean, think about Christmas morning, right? When you were a child or when you have young kids and, and you go and you celebrate Christmas with family and and a family member gives your child a present, what's the thing every parent says? Now, what do you say? Right? It happened. Thank you. You're, you're going to say it a lot this month. But I feel a little bit like the parent this morning. Like, look at this gift God has given us. Now, what do you say? <laughs> I want it to be more than, the, than words on our lips. Like if we can take a moment to reflect, like I pray, what I've been praying is that God would stir in our hearts gratitude, the response of gratitude, that there is a transformation of our mind when we understand the depths of who Christ is and what he has done for us. And then there's the, there is the response to that truth. What does it look like for us to rejoice, for us to adore Him, for us to say thank you, undeserved. In pride, I was rebelling. And God, in His mercy, didn't just bring peace. He is my peace between me and God because of Jesus. We can have unity with people who are very different than us to reflect the beauty of who God is. The second way I want to encourage us to respond is if, as we understand, I'm kind of thinking of head, heart, hands here. There's an understanding that we have of what biblical peace is. That's in our minds. Our heart is our affection, our response to that truth. But then there's the obedience of our hands. How then do we live as a people that have received peace? 
And I think as it says that Jesus preached peace to those who were, who were near and to those who are far, starting near, I would encourage you to take time this week and consider where do you still feel brokenness in your life? Where do you still feel the sense of, of longing and incompleteness that you're looking for someone else, something else, to fill. Because if Jesus is our peace, our wholeness, we are found in Him. That we're not going to find that in job or relationships or in all these other areas that we can look for. Where is their longing within to find peace outside of Christ? But I also want to encourage us then on that hand side as we think about it, where if you consider our community, your neighborhood, maybe your family, as you look into the, the community outside these walls, where does shalom need to be restored? Where is there a sense of brokenness, incompleteness, where we still see the realities of sin at work and we long for the peace of Christ to be known and demonstrated in? I want to encourage you that this week, would you take time to just write out where you see these areas of brokenness? What does that look like where we long to see God's peace lay this beautiful foundation in our culture to bring completeness and wholeness that can only be found in Christ? List out the areas. And I would encourage you, begin to pray through those areas together. Like pray through them in community with your spouse, with your kids, just between you and God. Pray through these areas and then ask yourself this question. Where would God have you be His hands and His feet? To go and to be the one who would proclaim and to demonstrate the peace that we have so freely received. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the peace that you have brought. Lord, that in my pride in rebellion, my heart was hostile toward you. And in my own pride, I was unable to consider others. Lord, but I thank you that in Christ you are our provision to bring completeness and wholeness. Lord, would you stir our hearts towards gratitude to not just understand these things intellectually in our minds, but Lord, to have our affections stirred that as we sing and as we worship and as we, we speak to one another that there would be a deep reality 
of who you are and that our hope in you has a firm foundation in who you are. Lord, would you be glorified in and through us, Lord, that as you have so freely blessed us with yourself, Lord, help us to proclaim and to demonstrate these beauties of the gospel to a broken and hurting world. Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.